microphone. <laughs> and uh, like I just did. Um, good morning, Chili Bible. Glad to be with you this morning. It's a uh, exciting day. Uh, first of all, I know there were, there were some who missed the announcement earlier uh, with Jim uh, about the newcomer's lunch today. And if you'd like to go to that, um, uh, grab that form out of your bulletin and fill it out and just shoot your hand up and we'll have one of the ushers grab it. Uh, we'll get you a spot at that lunch. Um, other thing is, is that you may notice that I am dressed a little funny today. No, I've not taken on a new career as a prison guard. Um, I have, I'm in fact a uh, den leader with the Boy Scouts, and you may notice some other people dressed in a similar way around here today. Uh, it's because it is Scout Sunday, which is a nationwide event uh, celebrating uh, all kinds of scouting. Uh, I'm a, a Cub Scout den leader. My son, uh, John, is a Cub Scout. Uh, he's a Wolf Scout. Uh, Jeff and Sandy Dunbar are both involved with the local, uh, the local pack. Uh, as well here in town, and uh, and part of the scouting experience is doing your duty to God and, and helping others, uh, which is a part of the Christian life, too, that uh, we have a duty to serve God as his children and also to, to help others, and uh, and that is, that's part of it. We all, the other thing I wanted to announce today is that some of you may have heard uh, we're going to be scouting, uh, we're going to be starting, I'm sorry, a um, a American Heritage Girls uh, troop here at Chili Bible will be sponsoring that. American Heritage Girls is a um, explicitly Christian faith based uh, scouting experience uh, for girls of all ages. And if you want details about that, see Tina Kadina. Tina, shoot your hand up so everybody can see uh, who you are. And um, and if you're interested in that, that'll be a um, It'll be a fun time. I think uh, my girls are going to be in that. I know there'll be a, a number of other girls in the community and so forth. I think Bethany's going to be part of that as well. And and uh, and that'll be a neat experience uh, and a real opportunity for the girls uh, to uh, participate in scouting as well as to uh, learn about Jesus and for us to outreach through that into our community. So, um, with that, today, uh, you know, we've been looking over the last... Uh, several weeks, and we'll be looking at it up through Easter and a little bit after, uh, at the cross and at what Jesus is doing there. What's the, why is Jesus hanging on the cross? What is he accomplishing with his uh, crucifixion? What, what are the results of that? Uh, how does looking at the cross in all of its various aspects reveal light about Jesus? And the one we want to look at today is this aspect called the new covenant, that Jesus, through the cross, brings the new covenant into existence. And I hope that idea is somewhat familiar to everybody, but if it's not, um, what I'll tell you is, is that our Bibles, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple on the back table right there that you can grab and take home with you. There's a children's Bible back there, a couple of others that are um, uh, geared more for adults, um, but grab one of those if you need one. Uh, the, your Bible is divided into two parts, right? You have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you may or may not know it, but that word testament is a synonym for the word covenant, agreement. And so you have the Old Testament, Testament, the Old Covenant, those books that apply to Israel and that are written about the Old Covenant that God made, and the New Covenant, which was initiated through Jesus, is what the New Testament or New Covenant is about. Uh, but beyond that, uh, there are several aspects of the New Covenant that we want to see today, and, and I've got a lot of ground to cover and you'll need to buckle your seatbelt or pull down the, the, the handle above your head um, as we go through this, because there's a lot to go through. And actually, the New Covenant covers a massive amount of material because it's the entire New Testament. Um, but we're just going to look at four aspects of the New Covenant 
and living life under the new covenant and, and how it came about. So the first one that I want you to see is um, in Jeremiah, where the new covenant is predicted. Now, Jeremiah, if you do not know, is the collected writings of the prophet of the same name who lived from about 645 uh, B.C. till about 580 or so. Uh, and he is writing, he's called to be a prophet as a young man at about 627 B.C. He's still living with his parents, in fact, when he's called to be a prophet of God. And he is writing and predicting Judah's exile, that the exile is coming, that Judah has been so wicked that God's decision to judge is final, and it's not going to be reversed. He's called the weeping prophet because he wept over Judah and Jerusalem many times over the course of his ministry, but he's also the one who predicts judgment in the harshest terms. In fact, to be, a, to be ranting and raving and preaching hellfire and brimstone is to be delivering a Jeremiah after Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is tough to read because of the, the judgment that God is announcing is going to come through the exile. But as you're reading Jeremiah, you come to chapter 31 through about uh, chapter 33, where God announces that in the midst of all this judgment that's coming, there's going to be a restoration, and I'm going to heal, and I'm going to restore. So if you've got your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 31 uh, verse 31 down to 34. And I hope this is familiar to you, but if not, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And, I no, long, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, here's the thing. What Jeremiah is saying is this, is that you're going to, judgment is going to come. They've just had 30-some chapters of judgment is coming. Exile is coming. You broke my covenant. And I've finally, my patience, as though I'm long-suffering, my patience is finally exhausted. I've put up with this for a 1,000 years. And now it's at an end. And now judgment, the judgment portion of the old covenant is going to come into play. God promised them uh, through Moses that, look, keep my covenant and be blessed and live a long time in the land and experience all the blessings of relationship with me. Violate my covenant and cursed will you be in the country and cursed will you be in the city and cursed will be your flocks and cursed will be your herds and cursed will be the fruit of your womb and you will go into exile. And the delicate woman who is so delicate that she will not even allow the sole of her foot to touch the dirt will fight her children for the afterbirth of the children she bears. That is the curses section of Deuteronomy. And they're about to experience it. And Jeremiah has been telling them that for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. And no one, by the way, believes him. If you are a called to be a prophet of God, pray that you get to be Jonah who, though he is rebellious against God, goes to a city and the entire place repents overnight. Jeremiah has two guys in 40 years, two guys, Baruch, his scribe that writes his prophecy down for him, and Ebed-Melech, a eunuch. That's it, in 40 years. 
Two converts. No one believes what he says. And, but yet, God's judgment comes. The people go into exile. And God says, but, but, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Because you couldn't keep my covenant. You didn't keep your vows. In fact, he explicitly uses the image of a husband who, is, who has had his vows violated. He says, though I was your husband, you broke my covenant with you. If you read the book of Psalms, you find out what it's like to be a human in relationship with God. If you read the prophets, you find out what it's like to be God in relationship with sinful human beings. And God expresses through Jeremiah, I was your husband and you broke my covenant, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And it's going to be better than the the old covenant because the old covenant depended on human effort and human obedience to a set of written standards. And God says the new covenant is going to be better. And it's going to be better because I'm not going to write the tablets, I'm not going to write the law on tablets of stone that you can look at. I'm going to write it on your heart, and I'm going to change who you are from the inside to enable you to obey what you couldn't obey before. And the exile came and went, and the remnant went back into the land and established a temple. And they eventually reestablished a kingdom, although not with a Davidic king. They had the Hasmoneans who ruled for a few years uh, after Israel was back in the land. But no Davidic king. And when the temple was built, God's presence didn't come back. The Shekinah glory presence of God was not present there again. And the people wept because the glory of the former temple was not there. And so people concluded, well, the new covenant isn't here yet. So what we need to do is make sure that we rigorously and strenuously and as, with as much effort as we can muster adhere to the one we got. And we're going to not only obey the law, we'll, like the Pharisees, build a fence around the law so that if you, if you violate one of our commandments, you haven't actually broken the law, you've just broken a commandment given by men, so therefore you're still good with God. And so we define things like, well, how far can you travel on the Sabbath? Well, how much, you know, if you... If you um, travel? Can you ride a donkey or can you not ride your donkey? After all, the donkey's not to do any work. Well, you can ride your donkey up to a certain distance, but you can't whack him with a stick because then you're laying a burden on your donkey. You need to tithe not just your money, but also even your spices. And so you you ladies, you know, maybe you take your dill or your cumin or whatever, and you count each one of those little specks and you give God 10% of them. Okay? Because you're going to be rigorous in your application of the law. But then Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he announced that along with his coming, there are about 600 years between Jeremiah and Jesus. Try to imagine that. 600 years ago, the only people who lived on this continent had feathers in their hair. And the people who got here either walked over a land bridge or sailed on a boat made of wood. 600 years is a long time. 600 years elapsed between Jeremiah's promise and Jesus' coming. But Jesus comes, and this is what he says, Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise, after they had eaten, he said... This cup poured out for you is the what? New covenant in my blood. 
And these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples at the Last Supper. It was Passover time. It's the night before the Passover lambs would be slaughtered. Passover was the beginning of the Jewish nation. If you really think about and understand Jewish history, Passover is when the Jews really became a nation for the first time. It's when God took them out of Egypt. In fact, in talking about the new covenant, Jeremiah mentions it. He says, I remember it won't be like the old covenant that I made with you when I, what? Took you out of Egypt. When did that happen? On Passover night. Then the lamb was sacrificed and they put the blood on the doorpost and the death angel came and slew every firstborn son of every person who's, who did not have the blood on the doorpost marking them as part of the people of God. And that night, and they were to eat the lamb at twilight with their staff in their hand and with their cloak on, ready to travel. Why? Because God is taking them out. And it's the same night, 1,576 years later, Jesus is eating the Passover lamb with his disciples. And he says... This is the new covenant, not in the blood of the Passover lamb, but in my blood. I'm the Passover lamb. And I'm going to establish the new covenant that Jeremiah promised 600 years ago. And it's going to be established not in the basis of the blood of a lamb, but in the basis of my blood. Tomorrow at Passover, when the lambs are slaughtered, Jesus will be slaughtered. And he will bring in the new covenant. He is saying essentially this, the cup you are drinking, the cup that you are taking as part of the Passover celebration is the new covenant because it's being established not through the blood of the lamb, but through me. And it's a radical claim because in claiming to be able to bring the new covenant through his own blood, he is claiming to be that which the Passover pointed to, and on top of that, to be the God who is making covenant with people. You cannot say Jesus was a good man who said and did a lot of good things. You also have to say that in addition to that, he was God. Because a man who is simply a good man does not say, I am the one who is capable of making a new covenant with the nation of Israel through my blood. Why? Because to make that claim is to claim to be the God who established the old one. He says, I am the one who is establishing God's new covenant. The first commandment is not to have any gods except the one who brought the nation out of Egypt. Remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus is making this claim. He is claiming to be the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. He is claiming that his death, symbolized by the wine that represents his blood, brings into existence a new people of God, just like the Passover lamb's blood brought into existence a new people of God and a nation. It's an amazing claim that by his dying for sin, he will create a new covenant and a new people of God and that God's law will be no longer written on tablets of stone, but in the human heart through him. And Jesus, the next day, does in fact die for sin, just like the Passover lamb. And a couple days later, after that, he proves his identity as God and his ability to therefore make new covenants by being raised from the dead. Jesus inaugurates the new covenant. But Jesus is also, because of that, the high priest of the new covenant. And I want you to see that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 to 13. If you haven't figured it out yet, Hebrews is one of my favorite books ever. It has all this, all this massive uh, description of the, how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that's written 
and done beforehand. In the old, under the old covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. This is what you see there, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Let me find it here. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Uh, you may notice, if you read that, some differences between the Hebrew text that we read in, out of the Old Testament and how it's quoted here. And it's probably due to the fact that the writer of Hebrews quotes the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament here in the Greek New Testament. Uh, there are some significant differences between the two texts. Um, and I won't get into all of that, except to say that he is making explicit that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of Jeremiah, but that he is the priest who is at the center of that new covenant. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, a new covenant is established. Under the old one, there's a mediator between God and his people. And that mediator had to offer sacrifices to plead with God on the people's behalf so they didn't come under God's judgment for their sin. Right? He had to go in and offer sacrifices. And when you did that... Uh, as good as that covenant was, it didn't really compare with the one that's established by Jesus in the resurrection because sin was covered over, kind of papered over or swept under the rug, if you will, but it wasn't really taken away. And obedience to God was mostly a matter of law and self-discipline rather than of the heart really being transformed. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, when Jesus came, he proved to be a better mediator than Moses and the long line of high priests that came after him because Jesus offered the once and for all sacrifice of himself as the perfect lamb of God so that our, our sins are not simply covered over, but actually, read it, I'll be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember those, their sins no more. And so, in other words, not only are our sins forgiven, they're forgotten. They're forgotten. They're not held against us anymore. You know, whenever you get into, into marriage counseling with people who are in conflict, very often they will get historical on you. And no, I do not misspeak there. I do not mean hysterical. I mean historical. Back in 1975, I remember that you did X, right? Oh, yeah, well, last week, this happened. Yeah, well, your mother, and they will get into that, right? And we sometimes forgive, but we don't forget. We continue to hold it against one another. And to treasure that little nugget, so for the appropriate moment when we can pull it out of the garbage can and wave that stinky thing in front of their face again, right? So that we can have ourselves be exonerated for whatever evil we have done lately. God says, when you sin against me under the new covenant, I will not simply sweep your sin under the rug, cover it over, 
I will not only forgive, I will forget. And it's Jesus' death on the cross that enables that to happen because Jesus is the better mediator. And we have also, as part of the new covenant, we have the law not written on a a stone tablet, but written on our hearts and in our mind. And God is our God. And so we can come to him and we can find cleansing. And, And again, what we see is that salvation is the triune act of God, where God brings us into relationship with himself through the blood of the Son by the Spirit's power. Where every person of the, of, the, of the triune God, the Trinity, is present in our salvation. That God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, but I'm going to establish it through my blood. And then the Spirit is going to bring it about into your life. And you're going to have this new covenant with Jesus as the high priest. And, and Jesus is going to function as a better high priest. And I don't have time to go to the rest of Hebrews 9 and 10 to show you all of Jesus' functions as high priest. But what I will tell you is this, is that Jesus came as the fulfillment of the new covenant in order to be the high priest who not only offers the sacrifice of himself, for our sin, but also who continues after that sacrifice to stand before God's throne and intercede for for you and for me. So that when Satan, as an example, enters the presence of God and says, hey, did you see what so-and-so just did? Do you see their sin and their evil? Do you see their lack of repentance? Do you see all of their stuff? Jesus is your defense attorney who stands before God and says, yes, I see all of that. But my blood covers that person and they are mine. And that sin is forgiven and forgotten. Jesus is the high priest and advocate for God. It's the fulfillment of the new covenant. Now, I want you to see something else, and because this is really cool. Not only is Jesus a priest of the new covenant, but guess who else? Look around, okay? Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you. Every person that you see who is a believer in Jesus Christ is also a minister. Now, we joked about this a few years ago when we were at the missions conference, which is a great thing, by the way, and you should come because it's fun. You can learn about missions, be excited about what God is doing in the world. But here's the thing. You also have the privilege of being a minister. So how many ministers do we have today? Raise your hand if you are a believer in Jesus. You are a minister of the new covenant. I want to show you where it says so. All right? Uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 4 through 13, I want to show you this. This is great stuff. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 to 18. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves as to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us confident to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, 
who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for this day when they read the Old Covenant. That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's what Paul is talking about. In Moses' day, he would go into the tent of meeting, and he would talk with God. And when he came out, his face would literally glow. Not like a pregnant woman has that healthy glow, okay? Glowing, shining, like a light bulb. He was in the presence of God. And and it was too bright to look at. And people would come out with, Moses, you've been with God. Put something over that. I can't see. And so Moses did. He covered, he covered his face with a veil when he would come out so that people could not, were, could not see the glory that was reflected from God that was on his face. It's hard to look at him. But eventually what happened was this. Moses was a very humble man, had some incredible things happen to him. If I had had what happened to me happen to Moses, I'd have been the most prideful son of a gun you've ever seen. Okay. I spoke with God on the mountain today. I mean, come on. Uh, By the way, did you notice um, last I was over at the ocean, it split in half for me. I mean, come on. This is an opportunity for pride, right? Uh, yeah, staff into a snake. Yeah, I can do that. Hand that turns leprous and then heals itself. Yeah, I can do that. Ten plagues, no biggie. Done it. Water from the rock, watch this. Seriously, Moses was greatly used of God. But even he had his moments of a little bit of pride. And Moses eventually began to put a veil over his face, not just so that the glow wouldn't show, but so that when it faded away, people wouldn't know that. And Paul says that Moses, on top of that, had the ministry of condemnation. And what he means by that is this, is that the law that God gave prescribed a death penalty for a whole host of things. Commit adultery, okay, you and your partner are taken out to the city gate if, you're, if they, at the time they were living in Israel or to the edge of the camp and they either shot you with, through with arrows or turned you into a rock pile as a memorial uh, to not do that. Uh, commit murder, rock pile, uh, Commit idolatry, gather wood on the, on the Sabbath, rock pile time again. It was a very, very serious deal to break the law of God. They killed you very often if you did that. Because God is holy and sin brings death, and that was the point. The law was to underline that sin always brought death and destruction. was the ministry, therefore, of condemnation. There were a whole lot of people who got condemned to death for their sin. Paul says that what we have through Jesus is the ministry of righteousness. And what he means is this, is that the ministry that we have comes about so that when we sin, we are not only forgiven, But the Holy Spirit works inside us to transform us so that we don't sin as much. And eventually, you don't become sinless, but you become, you do sin less, right? 
You don't become completely sinless, but you do sin less than you did. And God works in you and begins to transform you. And we're under a better kind of covenant, under a better system of obedience. And what Paul is saying is this, too, that Jews who continue to follow the Mosaic law are like people who can only behold God's glory through a veil, like they did with Moses. They couldn't look directly at him, so he put the veil over his face, and then they could kind of see a little bit of God's reflected glory through a veil. But just like the reflected glory on Moses' face fading away, even in Paul's day, Paul says, the Jewish system, the old covenant, is fading away and is about to disappear. It's fading away. And, and it is nothing in comparison with the glory that is to be revealed in us by the Spirit of God. You know, we think of these things that Moses did or that happened uh, in his days as these magnificent manifestations of God's glory. Wow. And we're right to be impressed. But what Paul says is this, that compared with the glory that God intends to reveal through, uh, through us and in us by by the power of the Spirit because of Jesus, that they don't even relate to the same thing. That the glory that God intends to reveal in us is that much greater. Because we are actually going to be made to look like God, the God that we worship in our character, in our behavior, by the power of the Spirit. And on top of that, Moses' job was to go out and announce the law and its penalties to people. Here's God's law. Do this and you will live. Don't do this and die. Our job is to announce to people that Christ has come and with him a new way of being righteous, not by obedience to the law because the law, the letter of the law kills Spirit gives life. That through Christ, who makes us righteous by his spirit, we get to announce that message, that a new covenant has come. Through Christ, by the spirit, to every person who wants it, it can be given. And you get better obedience to God, a better relationship with God based on better promises from a better mediator who gave his followers a better ministry. And all of this information about the new covenant is, is something that ought to lead us to at least two big areas where God's truth ought to impact all of our lives. And number one, I want to make this very explicit. Number one you need to, every person needs to, believe in Jesus Christ. Every single person. Believe in Jesus Christ. A whole lot of people think that Christianity is basically an extended list of encouraged and, and, and prohibited behavior. Do this, don't do that. But what is really at the root of Christianity is this, is a better way of being in relationship with God through faith and being transformed by God's own Holy Spirit into the kind of person who is able to be, obey God, being transformed by God's love and grace and power. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that God through the new covenant, does not love us because of what we do and who we are. He doesn't. He loves us in spite of what we do, and in spite of who we are, he loves us and sent Christ to die for us. Because God knows that we cannot obey the law. We cannot keep the righteous requirements of God. Let me give just an example. Raise your hand if you've ever lied. Okay, I ought to stick both hands up. Okay, so, so should some of you. <laughs> All right? Raise your hand if you've ever stolen anything, taken anything that didn't belong to you. 
guess what? You're a liar and a thief. <laughs> okay? Raise your hand, men, if you've ever looked lustfully at a woman to whom you were not married. Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Okay? Jesus says you're an adulterer. Guess what? We got three out of ten in three questions. <laughs> okay? Guess what? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you have broken the law in one point, that you are guilty of breaking all of it. Because guess what the bigger problem is? You're an idolater who worships yourself and your sin. And so you broke the first one. The most important one, you shall have no other gods before me. And guess what? I'm an idolater and an adulterer and a thief and a liar, just like lots of you. And Jesus came to die for my kind of people. Because the world is not divisible between good people and bad people. It is only divisible between bad people and Jesus. Because he's the only good one who has ever lived. And he came and died and established a new covenant, which by faith in him, in his death and resurrection, would give us the spirit who would come and dwell in our hearts and transform us and change us. So that we could, as Paul says, stand before God with unveiled faces and behold his glory and reflect it in our lives. And if you have never done that, if you have never come to the place in your life where you have ever said to God, I am a sinner, liar, thief, adulterer, idolater, go down the list. I bet you broke them all. If you've hated your brother, Jesus calls you a murderer. any of these things Jesus came to die for all of them all of them and I'm a sinner and I deserve to die for my sin but because God loved me he sent Jesus to die in my place and yours die on a cross, and to be raised three days later. And he's promised that everyone who believes that message of Jesus' death on their behalf and his resurrection to give them new life, not only is welcomed into his family, not only is saved from the penalty of their sin, but is also given the Holy Spirit to change them into the kind of person God wants them to be. And it's a fantastic message. It's the best news that there ever has been. And if you have never believed it, I want you to right now take the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ. Place your faith in him who died on the cross to bring you into a relationship with God and who was raised from the dead to give you new life in the here and now and the hereafter. If you're a believer... If you've already done this, here's the thing for you. You have this magnificent promise of the new covenant fulfilled in Jesus. You walk around with the, in you the spirit God promised. I think we forget that sometimes. Or at least we get used to the idea and then it doesn't just totally shock us to death every time we wake up in the morning. Think about this. The God of the universe exists in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Father who loved you sent the Son to die for you and gave you the Spirit of the living God to indwell you. Do you find that shocking, startling, wow at all? You ought to, because it's really amazing that the God who sits Beyond the created order, beyond what we can see with our eyes, sent the Spirit to live in your life and mine. It's a magnificent promise. And 
he sent the Spirit not just to transform us, but to entrust us with a ministry of reconciliation, of announcing to other people, telling them about the wonderful thing that has happened to us. That we get the privilege of being high, of, of not being the high priest like Jesus, but of being priests out into the world to say to people, Did you know, by the way, that God sent his son to die on a cross for your sins like he died on the cross for mine? That he sent the son to to establish a new covenant, a new relationship with God that you could enjoy right now and for the rest of eternity, however long that is? We get the privilege of being God's ambassadors, representing him as like priests did, of going out into the community. God spread the priests of the old covenant all out through the whole land, gave them cities of their own, all through the whole uh, tribal inheritance of everybody else. And their job was to tell everybody else what God was like so that they would all know him. We get the opportunity to do the same thing out into the world, wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we shop, we get the privilege of being ministers of reconciliation, ministers of the new covenant of righteousness from God. So let me ask you, how's your priesthood going? That's your job. You're a priest. How's your priesthood going? Have you announced to anybody lately the wonderful news that God entrusted to you? If you haven't, repent. Repent. Stop doing that. And start obeying what God called you to and entrusted you with. Go out into the world as the ambassador of God and announce the wonderful news that Jesus came to make a new covenant with you and me. Not like the old one, where disobedience equals death, but the new one where even in spite of disobedience, you get life. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, your word is too big for us. It tells us too much about things that we can't even begin to get our arms around. That the God of the universe, the God who made stars and giraffes and rhinos and elephants and blue whales and black holes and galaxies, atoms, little creatures out of little balls of dirt called human beings that you gave your image and sent your own son to be crucified and die for and to be raised from the dead, to give them new life, to welcome them into your family, to adopt them as your children, to give them your spirit, to transform them to obedience and to give them glory such as they would never know apart from you. Father, we can't even imagine what this is. This is the best story ever told. And it's true. Father, we thank you. We pray if there's anyone here who has never trusted in Jesus Christ, the high priest of the new covenant who offered himself as the sacrifice to reconcile us to you, Father, we pray that that person, that man or woman, that boy, that girl, would put their trust in Jesus' death and resurrection on their behalf and enter into the new covenant with you by his blood. And Father, we also would pray that those of us who have known you for many years would be faithful to carry forth our ministry, announcing the coming of the new covenant and the new covenant Savior, the mediator who is the perfect one between us and you, Jesus Christ. Father, let us be faithful. Let us be passionate. Let us keep track of how long it's been since the last time we told somebody about Jesus. And if it's been longer than a couple of days, 
remind us it's time to get busy doing what you've called us to do. We know so many who are lost. We pray that you would help us to find them and that through us you would give us a boldness to speak your message and that by your spirit you would save them. We pray in Jesus' name.